Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bully. is from the Gospel of Matthew, the 16th chapter. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, God. Well, as we heard, school has started again. Elementary, middle, high school, they've all started mostly on Wednesday. And the college, it started back over here on Monday. And each of these students is learning new things, new techniques, new ideas, new processes, making new friends. They are learning, and most of this knowledge will help them succeed financially in life. But as Christians, we should always ask, are our children learning things which will help them spiritually as well as financially? 
You see, in America today, despite what our religion surveys say, there are actually four dominant religions in America. No, I'm not talking about Christianity and Islam and Judaism and Hinduism. Christianity is one of them. For this, I use a definition of religion as something that gives ultimate satisfaction and purpose to people. And if we look at that definition, something that gives ultimate satisfaction and purpose to people, there are three other religions that are far more important in America today than Islam, Judaism, and Hinduism. I want you, as I go through this, to ask yourself, are you involved with one of these religions? The first and most important religion in America that most people follow is the worship of money, the goods and services that money can buy, and the security that being financially well-off brings. How much of our efforts and the efforts of people around us, even the efforts of our school systems, are devoted to helping us make money? Even the words make money are a uniquely American thing. In most of the world, the idea is more that a person can acquire money, pulling it from other people. But in America, we believe that through our labors and our intelligence, we can create new money, new value. As our inventions of new goods and new services and more efficient ways of doing things produce new wealth. And you know, we're not wrong. That is the key reason why America is so prosperous. Did you realize that that our average person has over six times the income of the person of China, which is the second largest economy. But it still needs to be pointed out that all wealth can do is delay our move to eternal life. The economy of heaven is not the economy of this life. As the old joke goes, a wealthy man prayed, and he received assurances that he could indeed bring something with him to the afterlife by putting those items in his casket, just as they used to do with the Egyptian pharaohs and others who had weapons and jewelry and even animals and servants buried with them in their tombs. So when the man arrived in heaven, the joke says that St. Peter greeted him and asked him what he'd brought along. Ten bars of pure gold. The formerly wealthy man replied, and Peter stared back at him and laughed. You brought pavement? You brought pavement? Well, I once had a friend who had managed to pay off his home. He paid off the entire mortgage. And then he'd saved away about a million dollars, mainly in his 401k, due to frugal living. And then one day he was laid off from his job when he was in his early 50s. And he panicked. Although a rational analysis, if he sat down and worked through the numbers, it said he could spend about $50,000 a year indefinitely, he no longer was putting money into a savings account, and he panicked. He began to take out-of-state temporary jobs, which took him away from his wife and family, and he eventually lost them because his focus was on his bank account and not on God. Deep down, he did not believe that God would take care of him. Only his money would take care of him. Our good retirements, our social standing, our children's pride and our judgment on how successful our life 
is, has been caught up in the importance of making money. Ted Turner, the founder of Turner Broadcasting, reportedly said that life is a game, money is how we keep score. And that quote neatly describes the person who worships money. Do you keep score of what you're doing in your life by your bank account balance and the things you own? Have you been caught up in the false religion of making money and owning things? I have in the past. I, it happened to me. The second religion of America related to the first is the worship of sports and sports figures. This weekend, all across America, there will be huge temples filled with worshipers of various sports and sports teams. 60,000 people will attend a religious service watching the high priests of the sports religion flip a coin and blow a whistle and jog around in their special black and white garments. A ritual battle will be fought between two sides, and you know one side's good and the other side's evil. These religious services will be televised to far more people than attended any Christian church services this weekend. And children will be brought forward to begin training as acolytes and be inducted into the mysteries of, of punt, pass, and kick. And they'll be taught the arcane wonders of proper blocking and tackling. And they will receive instruction in the advanced theologies of the I formation and the option and the pro set. And parents will urge their children onward in hopes that the parents will bask in the reflected glory of a college scholarship or even an elevation to the ordained members of the NFL. And the NFL has even adopted religious symbolism. In many Jewish services, when the Torah scrolls are brought out, the Old Testament scrolls are brought out, they're paraded through the congregation and members of the congregation will kiss the covering of the scrolls. And in Catholic services, the Bible is kissed in devotion by the priest when he talks about the gospel. And when the Lombardi trophy is to be awarded after the Super Bowl, players on the winning team all kiss the trophy. It isn't only football that has this religious aspect. I've seen it in, I've seen similar religious fervor during the World Series and March Madness basketball and in soccer and to a lesser extent I've seen it in swimming and volleyball and chess and dance and cheerleader competitions. You see the success of the team and the person is at stake and the future glory of our children is at stake for members of the sports religion. About 15 years ago I attended a church in Williamstown, and I wasn't pastoring, I was just attending, and was teaching at Parkersburg Catholic High School. Now, Catholic played at Williamstown, and naturally, working as a teacher at Catholic, I sat with the Catholic fans and the Catholic kids. A woman from my church in Williamstown was quite upset at this. She thought I should be sitting on the Williamstown side, for you see, to her, that ritual battle of the basketballs was real and meaningful. She was fully caught up in the religion of sport. Have you become a regular member of the religion of sport? At times in the past, I have. Yes, I stood in those stands and said, Let's go, Mountaineers! And then years later, in Atlanta, I said, I said oh, when we were at the Braves games. 
Then there's the third religion. It's the religion of politics, where people look forward to a political savior, a Messiah who will arise and defeat all the political enemies who are declared to be the embodiment of evil, real or imagined, and the political Messiah will usher in a time of peace and prosperity, it's hoped. Tremendous amounts of money and time are devoted to following every nuance of that great political battle. Ritual meals are raised where money's raised, are held where money's raised. Scripture is pronounced, beliefs are stated, and those who don't accept every bit of dogma are tossed out of the church and of the party, both parties, all parties. There's no room for ticket splitters to true believers in the, in the politics religion. This is the religion of many of our neighbors who are convinced that each election is a massive spiritual battle between good and evil and forget that Jesus will ultimately win regardless of our short-term politics. For those caught up in the religion of politics, Armageddon happens every two years in November. For to them, so much is riding, too much is riding on this political religion to waste time which such, with such unimportant things as the eternal destiny of people's souls. To the true believer, the next election is the end of the age. Have you become too involved in the religion of politics? Times in the past, I have. I have followed political news into late at the night and I've pointed at things on my phone and said to Sandra, hey, look what happened to so-and-so. As I look at those failure of different politicians. But I keep getting brought back from all of these religions when I go and I look at the Bible and study Christ. Jesus' apostle the Apostle Paul, who traveled from town to town, preaching Jesus mainly to all the people Paul could who were not Jewish. Paul wrote to the Romans, men and women in a culture concerned with wealth, with sport, and with politics, a message that could have been written today. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And I find that I must constantly be renewed by Christ and by the words of Scripture and through prayer. And so I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to turn to the one true religion, the one religion which is concerned about what will happen to your soul a hundred, a thousand, a million years from now, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Do what he asks you to do. This is your proper and true worship. Spend your life as God wills, not as the world commands. Be renewed. Do not conform to the pattern of this world by worshiping wealth, sports, or politics, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Shake off the sleepiness with which the world lulls you through advertising by promoting ultimate happiness when we spend our money to buy stuff. Wake up 
and look around from the endless, meaningless games of sport, which offer a couple hours of excitement, but also mean we have to ignore the important things of life. Walk away from the angry fighting of politics, which is ultimately deadly to our souls. Instead, look clearly through new eyes and see with the eyes of your heart and your perceptive mind that's been renewed through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to focus upon the truly important and eternal work of God, which is to bring us peace and give us eternally meaningful work and allow us to live with Him eternally. And then, with a new mind, refocused by understanding what Jesus wants, what God has done, and what the Holy Spirit and Holy Scripture has guided you to, you will be able to test and understand fully what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is for you. In other words, spend time each day reading your Bible. Practice two-way prayer and conversation with God. And do what the Holy Spirit asks you to do, and you will see God's will for your life. You'll understand enough that you can lead your children and your grandchildren to trust Jesus with their lives also. And then, then the world will be changed, and you'll be able to look back and say, Jesus gave me a purpose in my life and allowed me to make a difference in this world. Have you ever seen a teenager who's lost in video games? Have you ever known a man who spends his Sundays in front of ESPN with a six-pack of beer? Have you ever seen a woman who prefers a chemical high while her children are running outside in the street, oblivious to cars passing by? That is what happens to the people who are following the three major American religions of wealth and the absorption of sports and the false promises of politics. You may have been one of those people. At times, I have been in the past, and I fall into it, I get out of it, I fall into it, I get out of it. It requires continually paying attention to what Christ wants. In fact, the disciples were much this way 2,000 years ago, for you see, at that time, great wealth was primarily used to provide swords and other weapons for armies. It was thought that a man could not rule a country without great wealth. And the Greeks and Romans had brought to Palestine the idea of the games. First, the Olympic Games of Greece, and then the gladiatorial games of Rome. The Greeks competed for money, for medals, and for laurel wreaths placed upon the winner's head. The Romans competed for the blood of the loser. In huge stadiums, they held thousands of people. Politics was always being played. Of course, like now, it was played between those who were wealthy and already had some degree of power and it was deadly serious losers lost their wealth and positions and often their lives in those days and to some of the disciples so some of the disciples they felt it would be necessary to have wealth if they were to change the world wealth would be needed for political change they said as it happened some of the disciples and many of their students would end up sacrificed in the Roman games. Wealth and games and politics are dead ends. One day Jesus took his group of disciples to the region of Caesarea Philippi in the northeast of Israel, what today we call the Golan Heights. It's actually in Lebanon, today at the foot of Mount Hermon, the tallest mountain in the Holy Land. 
It was an area where many people from many different religions lived. Here there were ancient shrines to the ancient gods of the Syrians. And over there there were temples to Baal, still going strong, 800 years after Elijah had defeated the priests of Baal on Mount Carmel. Here were temples to the Greek gods and goddesses, Apollo, Artemis, Aphrodite, Zeus. And here there were also more recent temples to the Roman gods, Jupiter, Venus, Mars, and the first emperor, Julius Caesar, and the most recent emperor, Augustus Caesar. They had both been promoted to be gods. And so after walking around a bit, Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Using that figure of speech by which Jesus refer, usually referred to himself by, Son of Man. And the disciples looked at one another, and one said, you know, some say that you're John the Baptist reincarnated. And another disciple said, nah, some are saying you're, that you're the greatest prophet, Elijah, come back to life. And another disciple said, some think that you're the prophet Jeremiah, or some other prophet. And they answered the question, for he had asked it in a non-threatening way. Who do people say the Son of Man is? It allowed them to speak without telling him their own opinions. It's much the same with us today. Who do people say Jesus is today? Some people will answer he's a great teacher. Others an ancient holy man. Still others call him a myth. A man people talk about in church. A legend. A man who was supposedly doing magical things. It allows us to answer without speaking our own opinion. But Jesus didn't left them off, let them off the hook. He asked them, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And today I'm asking you to answer that question with a definite answer. For you see, who you say Jesus is determines how seriously you'll take his claims and his commands and demands upon your life and lose and stop paying so much attention to the world's demands that you go for wealth and sports and politics. For we can take or leave the teachings of a great teacher. We can emphasize that he was an ancient holy man and rationalize that his teachings only apply in ancient times and not today. We can smile and retell stories about Jesus without any more demands than following Santa Claus if Jesus is a myth or a legend. And we can ignore Jesus if he was just a man who supposedly did magical things for the supposedly lets us off the hook, and after all, if it was magic, we don't need to follow his example too closely because we can't do magic. But if he is just a man people talk about in church, then we don't have to worry or listen too much about what Jesus said and did for those stories told in church really don't have any bearing on us, do they? They're just the stories we can learn, but we don't have to really follow but what about you? Who do you say I am? Jesus asked his disciples and asked us. And there was probably silence for a minute or two, you know, the way when the teacher asks a difficult question and everyone looks around the room at the other students hoping they'll answer first. And it was Simon Peter who spoke next. Simon was his given name. Peter was the nickname Jesus had given him. The nickname in the language of the day was Cephas, Aramaic for rock. 
Jesus had looked at Simon when he met him, saw Simon's size and power, and nicknamed him Rock, which in Greek is Petros, a name that comes down to us in modern English as Peter. Simon Peter, Simon the Rock, spoke next to answer Jesus' question. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. The Messiah, a Hebrew word that translates as Savior in Latin and Christos in Greek. The Messiah in Jewish culture was the man who had come to take over the government of Israel, a descendant of the great King David, the man who would reestablish the greatness of Israel and then rule the world with wisdom and power and mercy and blessings to Peter. Simon, uh, Peter, Jesus was the Messiah, but then he added, the son of the living God. Simon Peter had declared that Jesus was divine, God's son on the earth, worthy of being listened to and worshipped, and as God's son should be obeyed totally as the Lord of Simon Peter's life. And for the rest of Simon's life, there would be no other gods ahead of Jesus. He didn't care about wealth, he didn't care about games, he didn't care about politics. For if the Son of God was commanding the big fishing boat captain, then that was good enough for Simon. There was no longer any need to seek wealth or to play meaningless games or to worry about politics. Only Jesus' commands and demands mattered. For only Jesus could lead Simon to eternal life on the good side of God. So Jesus answered Simon Peter's declaration with... Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I'll tell you that you are Cephas, Peter, the rock, and on this rock I'll build my assembly, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so I turn again to you and ask you to look to Peter, the rock, as Isaiah spoke God's words, look to the rock from where you were cut and to the quarry from which you were hewn. Who do you say Jesus is? And what does this mean for you today and for the rest of your mortal life? You know, we started this sermon off by speaking of school starting again and the things that are taught in school. And once, you know, the school system was the ally of the church, teaching children about Jesus and who Jesus is. But today, the school system is at best neutral. At worst, it teaches that grades and sports and politics and wealth are the important things in life. And so if you're a parent or a grandparent, an aunt or an uncle who has children under your care, it's up to you and to us to teach our young people what really is important. And so I say to you, whether you're here in person or you're listening on Facebook and worshiping with us or on the radio or on the podcast, bring your children and grandchildren to a church. We'd love for them to join us here, and we think we have a good program for children, but we realize that there are many churches in this county, one of which may be better for you and your children than here, but we'd love to have you here. And if you want to learn more about what Jesus taught and what it means to truly be a Christian, following Christ instead of chasing the wealth of the world, the false glory of sports, or the demonic gods of politics, join us here.
Cedar Grove has Sunday school starting at 9.30, followed by church at 10.30. And you can be sure to receive all these sermons, both written and an audio podcast, by signing up at brianboley.substack.com. Take your email to brianboley.substack.com and you'll get these sermons. Cedar Grove here, we're going to begin our fall Bible discussion group at 7 o'clock on Wednesday, September 6th. And all of you are welcome, and all of you who are listening are welcome to join our group on the lower level of the church. Jesus asked, who do you say I am? And the answer is, the son of the living God. Worship him, for only he has the power and love to give eternal life and make lasting changes to the world because wealth is fleeting and sports really don't last long. And politics can only change things for a couple years. But Jesus can things, change things forever. One final thing. If Jesus truly is the son of the living God, then tell me this. Can you afford to ignore him? Should you put him off? Do you have anything more important than to find out about him and make his love known to everyone you love. Cedar Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Boley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the GIVE tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.